Thank you. Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 12. Just talked about bad news. Let's talk about some good news. And that's from the, the Word of God and the Gospel. Aren't we thankful that we got the truth of the Gospel uh, to know and to believe? And We're going to read from Luke 12, verses 13 through 21, continuing a summer series on the parables of Jesus. And this morning is the parable we know as the parable of the, of the rich fool. Luke 12, 13 through 21. This is God's word. Let's give careful hearing uh, to it. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich. Toward God. It is God's word. Let's pray. Well, I thank you so much again for an opportunity uh, to spend together in your word. And we pray your blessing upon this time. That you would be our teacher. That you would be our guide, our helper. And we thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit uh, to illumine us and to enlighten us. And we pray that he would do that in our hearts and minds even now as we spend this time together in this part of your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about money. A lot to say about how we view it. A lot to say about how we use it. With all the instructions and warnings and admonitions the Bible gives us about money, you can tell that God knew it would be a problem for us. In fact, you know, Paul goes on so far as to say... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now let's be clear. It's not the money itself that is evil. It's not even money that is the root of evil. It is the love of money that is the issue. But you know what the problem is? The problem is it's so easy for us to fall in love with it. So easy for us to be consumed by our desire for it. And to have our lives controlled by it. We do live in a very materialistic society. Quite often the measure of a man in our culture. He's determined by how much he makes. And by what he has. We are a driven society. Driven to make more. To have more. To do more. And to accumulate more. And it is a struggle. 
It's a struggle for us as believers to be in the world, but not of the world. To live with biblical values and not to adopt worldly values. Uh, To seek first, as we've already read this morning, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and not be anxious about our physical needs and our financial matters. You know, more and more Christians today find themselves under enormous piles of debt, often so far behind they don't know how they'll ever work their way out of it. As a church, your officers are trying to figure out how we can come alongside brothers and sisters who are in need, how we can help those who find themselves on the brink of financial ruin, how we can show the love of Christ to them and in very tangible and effective ways. But also the elders are, have decided to focus on that very issue uh, this coming fall on Wednesday nights. They've asked Gary James uh, to teach this fall on the biblical view of money and finances. It will include, include a biblical perspective on money and wealth as well as practical guidelines on how to live as a believer in a materialistic society. You might remember last year we focused purposefully on marriage, and this year we're focusing purposefully on money and on stewardship. Now I say all that because that's where Jesus brings us in this parable this morning. It's about how you view what you have and how you see yourself in relation to the things of this world. Three things again this morning. First, as usual, it's important that we set this particular parable in its proper context. You know, last week, you might recall, I talked about how it was when Jesus was at the very height of his popularity. You know, there were huge crowds that were following him. It was really something of a cultural phenomenon. Now, again, that's one of the reasons the scribes and the Pharisees were so opposed to what he did and what he said. It's because of all the attention that Jesus was mustering during this very uh, time of great popularity. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 12, for example, where it says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. There were so many people, they, they couldn't hardly move. So crowded around Jesus were they, so many of them, thousands of them, it says, that they were literally stepping on one another. And so Jesus here is in this large group of people teaching and teaching spiritual truths, teaching the importance of trusting God and living for him when someone interrupted him. Now, this man who interrupted him was apparently in a dispute with his brother over his family's estate. There was a disagreement as to who should inherit what. And it's clear this man was not satisfied with the result. didn't believe that his brother had given him all that he was due. And so he shouted out to Jesus in verse 13, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now it's clear where this man's mind was. It surely wasn't on the spiritual truths that Jesus was teaching. 
His mind was on material things, financial things, earthly worries, earthly concerns. And so we addressed Jesus in that way about that matter. He quickly brought the discussion from the spiritual to the mundane. His question really didn't fit the context. If you're you know, really honest about it, it was downright rude. It really wasn't a question, was it? It's more of a demand. Teacher, tell my brother to do this. Well, Jesus refused to get involved in this family dispute. The question itself was really out of line, and for Jesus to have responded to it would have been inappropriate. That was not what Jesus came to do, and that's what he basically tells the man in verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, Jesus is not saying here he was not qualified to do that. What he's saying here, he was not called to do that. It was not the purpose for which God the Father sent God the Son to get involved in those kinds of financial family disputes or arguments. And that's the point of Jesus' response to this man. And then Jesus went on to identify the man's real problem. And that was greed. You see, Jesus didn't come to deal with a man's finances. Jesus had come to deal with this man's and other people's hearts. And of course, there's a direct connection between the two. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A man who has a greedy heart will be a greedy person. And he will focus upon material things. A person who has a godly heart will be a godly person. You will focus upon spiritual things. And so Jesus gives this man and all who were listening to this discussion a very strong warning and admonition about greed. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for even not even when one has an abundance... Does his life consist in his, of his possessions? And it's clearly an earnest warning, isn't it? He says, beware. Be on your guard. Those are the kinds of warnings given to someone who is in grave danger. And Jesus knew that money and the love of money present a real danger to us. The warning here is against every form of greed. And greed is grabbing like this holding on tightly to what you have and trying to grab what even might not belong to you. A greedy person is a tight-fisted kind of person and greed is dangerous because greed takes your mind off of where it ought to be to where it ought not to be. From what is important to what is not important. From spiritual matters to earthly and material matters. You know, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to reverse the principle that Jesus states in verse 15 when he says, not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Our culture reverses that, don't they? So many times again, the value of a man is measured by what he makes and what he has. But money and possessions, from the biblical perspective, do not make the man Your life does not consist of what you have, but who you are. Your identity does not come from your possessions, 
but from, but from, your, but from your character. To focus upon worldly things instead of spiritual things is one of the most tragic mistakes you can make. Well, that question from that man, as inappropriate and as rude as it was, is the context for this parable Jesus tells in this passage. So second, we need to look at the parable itself. That is, we need to see the earthly story Jesus told here to make a spiritual point or to teach a heavenly lesson. The story, again, is a simple story. It's about a a man, a very rich man, whose land was very productive. It's another parable set in an agricultural context. This man was a a very successful farmer. So successful, he had a very real and practical problem. That is, his barns were all full. And yet, he was about to reap yet another harvest. He had no room to store his goods, so he needed to solve this dilemma. And the way he went about it and the decision he made are both very telling. It's clear from what Jesus said. This is a man who was very self-centered and self-focused. He saw life only one way, and that is the way it impacted or affected him. He apparently had no consideration for God and what God's will might be for his life. Apparently had little or no consideration for others. Now, his life might be used to impact or influence the lives of others. He did not consult God. To seek his guidance, did not consult others to seek their wisdom. He simply consulted himself, as we see in verse 17, where it says, Jesus says, he began reasoning to himself. And here's the way he reasoned, saying, what shall I do? i got a problem here, since I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. He said to himself, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, or larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Notice the focus upon himself by the repeated use of the personal pronouns I and my. Where he says, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. This man was living as a practical atheist. There was no room for God in his thinking or his planning. We see it even more clearly in what he said in verse 19. He went on to reason to himself like this. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, he was unaware of any real sense of stewardship, of using what he had in a benevolent way to minister to others. He also had no real sense of his own mortality. All I could think of was accumulating more and more to plan for himself a life of ease, leisure, and pleasure. And as you can tell, he was very pleased with himself. But God was not pleased with him. We find God's evaluation of him in verse 20. But God said to him, 
You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Now let's think about it for a moment. This is a man that the society would have admired, isn't he? We would have put him on a college board. We would have pointed him to the, to the Chamber of Commerce. This is a man who would have been highly respected in the community. A man who would be envied because of his possessions, of whom others would be jealous because of what he had done and what he had accumulated. But God had a different perspective, didn't he? God called him a fool. That's why this parable is called the parable of the rich fool. He was rich, no doubt about that. But God called him a fool. Well, third, we need to look at the meaning of this parable. And the meaning is found really in understanding why it was God called this man a fool. Certainly, we don't want that to be God's evaluation of us. And so why was this man a fool? Why did God call him a fool? I believe God called him a fool for three reasons. One is because he failed to see the true source of his wealth. He failed to see the true source of his wealth. He failed to see that what he had had been given to him by God. He thought he was a self-made man. His focus was, I have done this. I have achieved that. I have accumulated all this other. It was all about me. We see it again in the use of the word I and my. It's all about me. All about him. Not about God and his provision. Again, he was living as what we call a practical atheist. He may have claimed to believe in God, but his life didn't reflect it. Because he excluded God from his deliberations, his planning, his decision-making. He was living as though there were no God. You know what the Bible says about that? It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The key phrase, I believe, to understanding this parable is found in verse, back in verse 16, where we're simply told the land of a rich man was very productive. And the question we must ask is, why? And that's the question apparently this man failed to ask and answer. Why? Why was his land so productive? This man apparently thought it was because of himself, because of his planning and his preparations and because of his hard work and because of his skill. But it's a fool who assumes that. The Bible says that all that we have, no matter how it comes to us, all that we have is a gift from God. It is his blessing that he bestows upon us. The Bible says we brought nothing into the world with us when we entered and we will take nothing with us when we leave. What we have, all of us, whatever we have, whether it be little or much, whatever we have is from God. It is his he has entrusted it to us, and we are to be stewards of it. This rich man failed to see the source of his wealth, and for that reason he was a fool. He was also a fool because he misused what God had given to him. 
He used it all on himself instead of seeing how he could use it for God and for the advancement of his kingdom. You know, there are really, the Bible says, only two ways to use your money. One is you can lay it up for yourself, and the other is you can lay it up for God. That's what Jesus says. We read uh, uh, kind of a parallel passage from the Sermon on the Mount this morning. In fact, uh, the unison reading that Gavin led us in earlier is the passage right after this parable from Luke chapter 12. And it's a parallel passage to what Jesus says in the more familiar passage in uh, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Where there, you know, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the option Jesus gives us. Don't do the one, do the other. Don't live for yourselves treasures here on earth, but rather lay them up in heaven. And that's the choice each one of us has to make, really, in life. How we see what we have as its source, and how we use what we have. Will we see it as a blessing from God, a gift that he has been, that has been given to us to be used for his glory or we will see it as something that we have achieved and accumulated by ourselves to be used for our own pleasure and the answer to that question really reflects the state of your heart because Jesus went on to say for where a man's treasure is there will his heart be also This man only saw his wealth as something to use for himself and for his own pleasure. And for that reason, he was a fool. He was also a fool because he placed all of his focus on material things and not on spiritual things. And the worst part of it, it's clear in the text, the worst part of it was he didn't realize that had eternal consequences. He failed to come to grips with his own mortality, Notice again what he said in verse 19. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. That was his perspective. But God's perspective was otherwise, wasn't it? God said, you fool. Your soul is going to be required of you this very night. It is a dangerous thing spiritually. To live for the kingdom of this world and not for the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus asked the most important question of all, didn't he? What does it profit a man if he even gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? And that describes this man in this parable. He had gained so much of what this world had to offer. His barns were full. He didn't have room to put his next crops and yet he had forfeited his soul in the process but not only that he would leave behind everything he had worked so hard to accumulate God's question to him in verse 20 again was now who will own what you have prepared it certainly would not be him He was going to leave it to somebody. You know, sometimes when a wealthy person dies, someone will ask, well, how much did he leave? You know the answer to that, don't you? 
He left it all. As I said, there are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. As Job said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. Brought nothing into this world with us, will take nothing with us when we go. This man had put all his eggs in one basket, the wrong basket, the basket of materialism. And for that, he was a fool. And Jesus' summary is found in verse 21, where he says, So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. That man, Jesus says, is also a fool. You see, the wise man realizes that it is the spiritual investments he makes that last through time and into eternity. It is our faith and not our things that will last. Let me say that again, just in case you were dozing off for a second. Hear that. It is our faith and not our things that will last into eternity. What does the great old hymn say? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And if you do not have that faith to bring with you, that faith in Christ, in the finished work of Christ, if you don't have that to bring with you on the great day of judgment, when you face God the judge yourself, you will come empty-handed. And what a devastating experience that would be. Now some of you are probably wondering what all this means on a practical level. I don't have time to go through the whole biblical perspective of money and wealth and stewardship this morning. I'm going to let Gary do that in the fall. But let me give you a few biblical principles as I close. One is, a basic principle is that, that money is a gift from God. Okay, it is a gift, and it is a good gift. It is a blessing. Money in and of itself is not evil. It certainly brings it with it many temptations and many dangers, but it is good. And God gives it. He gives it as He chooses. It is His to give. It's his to take away. You know, it was Job's experience and Job's testimony. Job went from a man who had a whole lot to a man who had nothing. And what did Job say? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And what did Job do? In both circumstances, Job gave honor and glory to God. Paul was the same way. You know, Paul said, I've learned to, to live in humble means and I've learned to deal with prosperity. Both in having little and having much, what? I will give glory and praise to God. The Bible never condemns wealth. I want you to understand that. What it condemns is the misuse of wealth. The Bible over and over describes wealthy men that God used in his kingdom's work and he still does that today. So a basic principle is that the money's a gift. It's a good gift. A second principle is that we're to use what we have wisely. Again, we are to be good stewards of what God entrusts to 
to us. That doesn't mean you have to give it all away. It simply means that you must use what you have wisely and make sure that you're laying up treasures in heaven as you do. Now, I want you to understand something. Laying up treasures in heaven does not mean that you're buying your salvation or purchasing for yourself a place in heaven. That's already been bought and paid for. Jesus Christ paid for that himself on the cross, and there's nothing you can add to that. I don't care how much you give away. You can never buy or earn or merit your salvation. But what it does show is where your heart is. Whether you really love God. Whether you are giving of what he has given to you back into his kingdom's work. Making, as Jesus says, investments in spiritual things. And then the third principle is that God expects us to be responsible. Responsible with what we have and what he's given. You know, Paul says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, Paul also says that uh, anyone who does not provide for his own household is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. You talk about personal responsibility. Well, the Bible's full of it. The Bible says the parents are to provide for their children. Paul tells Timothy there may come a time when that situation is reversed, where children have to take care of and provide for their parents. There's nothing wrong, biblically, with having a savings account, investments, retirement funds, as long as you keep it all in the right perspective. Not hoarding what you have, not being greedy with it, but being generous and sharing and cheerfully giving, laying up treasures in heaven at the same time. The Bible says, the basic principle is, whatever you do, you all for the glory of God. That includes all of our lives, including our use of what God has given in our time, our talents, and yes, our money. And our driving concern would be that we would use it, every cent of it, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And again, we pray that you would drive it home to our hearts and that you would apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.